0: Welcome to the Trans-Tasman Podcast. My name is Matt and along with Claire, um, we're excited to be d- diving into the, the world of regenerative agriculture and exploring what that means uh, and what kind of lessons can be transferred across to the broader business community. So before we uh, begin, we'd like to acknowledge those First Nations connections to all of the places um, that we and our uh, guest speakers are coming from in the conversation today for me, that is the Boomerang and Boonerong people of the Kulin Nation here in Melbourne, and also acknowledging the Iwi and the different communities in Aotearoa New Zealand um, that are going to be involved um, in the places that come up in the conversation today. So regenerative agriculture is one of those things that is gain gaining a lot of popularity and interest, but The people that have been practicing these principles uh, have been doing so for decades and and even millennia. Um, But what is great is that that openness and awareness to understanding how to work in deeper partnership with our earth is becoming more prevalent. So we've got some amazing speakers uh, from uh, both uh, Aotearoa and also Australia here. Uh, and what I might int- what I might do first is just go through some introductions of our speakers. And I'm actually going to start with uh, Ray, who um, is linked to an organisation called Farming Secret, and he's been the bridge and the anchor in in helping connect us with the farmers today. So, Ray, maybe just a, a really quick um, introduction to yourself and and Farming Secret
1: yeah thanks matt and what a great conversation i'm excited for for today i have been involved in the regenerative space for a little while and the more i uncover around what regenerative means at a spiritual and soul level and how it's connected to the plants and all the moving parts The more excited I get to just keep digging deeper and sharing that information so I've always been kind of like the glue and as you just said I've really enjoyed helping bridge the gap between different farmers around Australia and New Zealand and 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 opening up this conversation so I'm really excited Farming Secrets has been in the education space for over a decade now really empowering farmers to remove themselves from using the chemical based system and just really nurturing and understanding the life underneath our feet and how magical that can be when you start realizing that that is your biggest asset on the farm and it all starts with mindset so i'm really excited that i get this opportunity to create content video podcasting uh, where we get to like really feed our mind and the mindset and the paddock between our ears so thanks for putting this together
0: Paddock between our ears, I feel like there's going to be some great metaphors that come out of today's conversation. I'm going to pass across to Carolyn Suggett, who is linked to Organic Investment uh, Cooperative. Carolyn, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Would you like to just share a little bit about yourself? I'm
2: you know, great to connect with some other like-minded people. Um, yeah, I come from a um, conventional farm down in South Gippsland. I grew up on a dairy farm um, down in that area. Um, I was passionate about agriculture, loved it as a kid. Um, you know, I always saw myself being involved in agriculture in some way, but the older I got um, and the more I got involved in um, science at school and, and understanding the industrial sort of mechanism of farming, um, the kind of the more deterred I became about farming not being what I really wanted to be part of. Um, I went over to Sweden, I worked over there, actually got involved in genetic engineering um, because I thought that that would transform the world and make the world a better place and um, people laugh when I say that I'm now an organic farmer with a genetic engineering background. Um, But I think I, um, you know, I think it wasn't until I had children that I really realised that, um, you know, how I wanted to see my kids understand what growing our food systems actually look like. So, you know, I came from a conventional side. We're now organic farmers and I work with Organic Farmers Australia wide. And I think the conversation around the regenerative Um, transition like you said right at the beginning there's people that have been doing it for 30 40 years that have kind of been living under a rock anyway in a way and I think we need to pull that wisdom out of the ground and under the rock and actually you know get that wisdom recorded because we have like this almost like a planetary emergency, emergency but an age emergency for our aging farmers who have got so much wisdom that I think we need to record that and understand it for the next generation to be able to take it to this next stage.
0: Yeah, I love the intergenerational uh, aspect of what you're talking about there. It's such an important one. Okay, I'm going to now um, pass across to Ewan Campbell, who is uh, linked to EcoFarm in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Ewan, also thanks for joining us. Uh, Curious to hear a little bit more about you.
3: Um, Well, it's a bit of a long story, but I grew up on a uh, block that my father uh, broke in with his father, which was just scrub in a swamp. So we didn't have what you would call a conventional beginning. You either made a farm or you sunk in the swamp. So, um, you know, 20-something years of working on that, um, I decided it was time to get out of the swamp and go to the hills. And what I didn't realize, I could actually... Uh, I put a sort of tick list on the whole thing. I wanted to be off the main road. I wanted clean water and a nice climate, um, but I forgot to put the list was good soils. So I went from peat farming to high aluminium volcanic soils, and all of a sudden I got a major wake-up call, um, one of the most beautiful parts of the country, and wanted to stay there, but the challenge was uh, either get better or go away. So um, got to work on doing trials and, Working out how things worked, and um, you know, I think the probably biggest turning point for me was one day when I was down the farm with feeding our livestock mineral licks and that, and the bottom of our fish bin, it had filled up with water, and in the bottom of that fish bin was these lines running east-west, uh, twenty-five millimeters apart, and it just blew me away. Going, how can that happen? Um, and, you know, I really liked science at school, physics and that sort of stuff. That was the only part that really kept me there, other than rugby and girls and bits and pieces. But um, that really set me off on a tangent to try and find out what phenomena had caused that, because where that had happened, we had really out, outstanding growth and health. And it led me to the uh, understanding of certain silicas ref- um, refracting the, Uh, UV light and creating heat, light and energy, electricity in the soil, and plant production and biological activity. So um, I trained with Brookside Laboratories in the States. They were lucky enough to come to New Zealand. So I actually got a really good grounding in soil science and environmental at the same time while I was farming. And as time's gone on, I found how sort of unique a situation I'm in. I practice what I preach. I get to trial everything. Um, Hardly anybody does. Uh, Our farm is akin to a laboratory, really. I mean, our animals are our lab mice. Um, They are either healthy or they're not. Um, And you can go through the groups of them and look at their age and what they're eating and whether they're performing. And yeah, it goes to an extent where I don't think anyone can replicate that. I mean, it's nature at work and you can um, see the facets of what's going on. And being able to test and measure Uh, and replicate those results it's it's really really cool and yeah it's time now's time
4: thanks a lot Ewan um I think you know something that the three of you have all touched on when you introduced yourself was you know how you came to be working in the regenerative agriculture field and Um, there seems to be sort of this transition away from traditional ways of of, of doing agriculture towards a more regenerative mindset. And I'd love to um, hear more about that, sort of the differences between regenerative agriculture and um, conventional agriculture. Ray, I might jump to you
1: first. Sure. So from my outlook on this, I think bridging the gap between the definitions and during my podcast I asked the guests what regenerative agriculture means to them and there's a beauty in it not being defined because we don't want it to fit in a box we don't want to say these are the five tick things that you're doing congratulations you're you know doing the right thing I for me personally it's very much a mindset and a spiritual spiritual level type of farming it's really looking about quality not quantity so I think for too long from what I'm seeing, and I'm no farmer, so I'm seeing more of a zoomed out kind of view and joining the dots between marketing and com, you know consumerism and, and so forth, and seeing that too long we put pressure on the system to be about yields and quantity and nutrition and quality has gone out the window. And I think for me, the regenerative movement is all about are we leaving the soil that grows everything that we kind of have from food, fiber and fuel better today than what it was yesterday and are we planning for a better tomorrow and if we approach farming from that nurturing soil health point of view then whether it be increasing by by um, biodiversity species count quality bricks readings whatever the gadget or the metric you are using to look at if it's in the step of improving then we're in the right direction and so for me it's about the output and letting consumers know that they have a choice to buy something that has really good Output quality as opposed to being pushed through a system that is just focusing on season to season, yield to yield, and degenerating the soil and the landscape.
4: Yeah, Ray, I think that's such an interesting insight and such a common theme that we've had amongst these different conversations we've had on the Trans Tasman Region podcast around, um, you know, regeneration being about making things today better than they were yesterday and also preparing. Um, for a better tomorrow and that, you know, shifting away from that old mindset of maintaining how things used to be or, you know, trying to stop them becoming worse. I think you've really captured that so well in um, in your description that you gave of regenerative agriculture. Carolyn, I, I might jump um, to you now. And, you know, earlier when you were introducing yourself, you mentioned um, that, you know, your, your training doesn't necessarily line up with um with what what you're doing now and I'd be really curious to hear you know what what was the catalyst for changing away from conventional agriculture and towards regenerative agriculture
2: yeah I think it's a great question I think you know um I mean for me I, obviously I grew up in a dairy farm and I, I I loved being in the land and I loved the farming side of it but I hated the fact that my parents were always price takers you know as dairy farmers you don't have any say where your milk goes. You can't sell a portion of your milk to someone else. Um, and I just sort of saw the helplessness, you know, um, I think in 1988 or whatever, when I was kind of a young teenager, um, the the dairy industry was deregulated and kind of a lot of the power was taken away from dairy farmers, both in Australia and New Zealand. And I just didn't want to really be part of that. I just thought that that is just, you know, I saw the, the stress that that created for my parents. Then obviously being in genetic engineering, um, I think that's a really powerful, um, very scary uh, initiative and I'm, I'm now very opposed to genetic engineering, just to put that on the record, but um, I think the thing I saw in genetic engineering was People that desperately wanted to find some solutions that I think kind of nature already has the answers, but we're trying to make the answers with genetic engineering. And I think I saw things in uh, genetic. I was doing a lot of research around uh, cancer research and basically um, uh, genetically mutating Drosophila fruit flies um, to basically stop the, the cell cycles. And what that does is it actually changes the form of the fly. And so you think of that in other animals and you just think we're actually playing God at that point point. and I think it was kind of when I realised that I didn't know that I was in charge of what would actually happen to those flies and you know and, and I was kind of at the cold face of it because I was actually injecting and doing all of those things and so I just walked away from it and said I you know I did lots of things I did blue rose and lots of different sort of projects around genetic engineering And I think I just sort of walked away because I think I I just thought, I don't think we actually understand the bigger picture of what this could do. And even the other day, I was driving with my family home from um, East Gippsland and all along the roadside was genetically modified canola all flowering, you know, and I think we look at genetic engineering and just think it's the revolutionary answer to everything. But there's all these parts of genetic engineering that no one sort of knows the answer to because it's like how do we deal with um canola on the roadside because it's obviously roundup resistant so it doesn't you know you can't kill it so it's kind of like okay so what are the councils going to do now and so that's kind of why i then went to organic farming and said i think we actually need to go back to our roots and my parents are very funny my dad loves his roundup and my dad's very conventional farming he and I the only thing we fight about is politics and roundup but um you know it's really funny because when they come to our farm they're like oh this is how your your grandfather farmed and so I feel like we're actually going back to that but then we're bringing the wisdom of the likes of um you know the older generation and we're filtering that to say it's actually about the biological richness of it and and I think it It's actually, it's more, it's almost like more of an artistic type of farming than actually the chemical farming where it's like you're just putting, we we call it the moron farming, as in, you know, you're putting more and more and more of just the, the defined chemicals rather than like a sourdough bread. That's always how I describe Organic farming, it's like making a beautiful dough of sourdough where you're adding biological stimulants that actually are there anyway and so long as you look after them and so long as you treat them well and so long as you rest them. um, They will absolutely treat you well in return, you know, rather than you know your chemical farming where they're actually killing a lot of the, the chemical inputs actually damage that biology. And so, and unfortunately, some of those farmers still call themselves regenerative. So that's why I guess we ourselves see organic and regenerative as actually interlinked because you can't actually be regenerative if you're still causing damage. So we, we look at it very much as a um, futuristic, um, you know, building block of getting healthier every single year without, you know, basically no harm farming. And that's kind of where we come from with it.
4: and I love that description, particularly um, that shift away from, you know, your example of genetic engineering and the way that humans try and play God with the planet. And I think that um, that really resonates with, over in New Zealand, we've got this concept of Tao Māori or the Māori worldview, which is very much based on the concept of, you know, humans and our earth or Papa Papatuanuku are not separate, we're, we're, we're the same thing. And, um, you know, we don't have we're not higher up the food chain in the earth. We don't have more power than the earth. We, we are you know, interdependent on one another. Um, sort of thinking over to the Aotearoa context, you and I might flip to you now. And here, if you have any reflections on um, how regenerative agriculture in New Zealand is perhaps different to sort of the conventional approaches that people have taken to agriculture.
3: Oh, radical. <laughs> to say the least like conventional is based about industry and sales that's all there is to it I don't I won't pull any punches on it it just comes down to money really um I've had my run in with government on this issue some 15 years ago when I first discovered about the electrical side in the soil and you know like that was just protecting big business it was nothing about solving the problem we were all well on our way to solving a lot of the problems that most of the people didn't understand what was going on already we could already see the degradation um, and we saw the mess from the process um, I guess the thing that I learned from that whole process is that you had to monitor measure and show that you actually could make the changes and then then reflect on nature on what it actually does it's a it's an amazing beast it's just and what you said about you know like we are connected to the soil and the earth and you know, a lot of the research that we've been doing of late is relating back to um, the cyanobacteria, which come from the ocean. Now they're the building block of the whole planet. They're the greatest oxygenator, the greatest carbon sink. Um, they're the proliferation in the ocean, and they can be on the soils. And when you can look after them, they have an incredible ability to restrand their DNA back to the original form. So, and science is well versed now that the genetics from the original food source carry on through the genetic sequence of what's ever eating them so if you've got a clean DNA strand with the right minerals in order we're going to start seeing massive changes what's going up the chain and uh, there's some incredible work done um, CRISPR technology where those cyanobacteria take on the pathogenic bacteria and use their DNA of the pathogenic genetic material to actually know what cells to kill. So they actually, once it's taken on, then they become a killer cell of the pathogens. Now, I can't think of a better thing to do is, I mean, if you've got massive outbreaks of some nasty disease where you spray them on the farm and then eat the food that comes off it, you've already got the answer. Um, this is science in motion with nature. It's, it's an incredible um, opportunity that we have. And this money is not, or funding has not been directed to that source at all because it can't be uh, captured in a pill. And that's really, really dangerous for the whole of society, really. So, you know, the changes that are coming about are huge. I'm loving the ability to test, measure, and show and quantify the results that come from it. Like we measure our carbon levels like we can consistently increase carbon per hectare around 12 to 15 tons per hectare Um, and that's at the uh, the main reason is because of those cyanobacteria the building block of uh, nature so we come from the earth there's no doubt about it the old saying ashes to ashes dust to dust you know (laughs) it's where we come from and when we're going back and uh, we know the mechanism now that can clean this up and it's the smallest cover crop on earth. You can't see it. You can only see the results of it. And for us in the wintertime, it's crazy when I tell people that we grow just as much or more dry matter in the winter than we do in the summer, except you don't see it. It's under your feet. And so it's the worms that are eating the cyanobacteria and relaying it back on the surface ready for the next season are doing the job for us. And it's fantastic. You walk across the paddocks and it's soft as anything. You jump into the neighbor's place and it's like hitting concrete. Um, Those are the sorts of things that we see. And then when you see the animals grazing on it, you can see the reflection of what's happening. So regeneration for me is like use the science um, and put it in place where farmers can actually utilize it really well. And they don't realize how much of a resource they have under their feet. Most of them have got most of the nutrient they need. Um, apart from a few changes, get rid of the sprays, add a few biology bits and pieces, and get some energy going. And their farmers change so quickly; um, it's quite remarkable.
4: Awesome, thank you, you And I love through the three examples or the the different examples that each of you have given, we've sort of covered the whole spectrum from the um, approach that you can take to regenerative agriculture, being very much about you know quality over quantity and um Ray, I think some of your words were you know it can't be defined and we don't want to put it in a box and it's all about being a mindset and spiritual quality which is a very high level way of thinking about it um and then using that mindset to you know the really tangible examples um that Carolyn and Ewan gave around you know things like increasing soil quality um and the effects that that has on um on livestock and know, using science as a way of um, implementing regenerative farming practices, I think that's such a brilliant example of how, you know, this really high level regenerative mindset can create these really tangible outcomes and positive change in the world, which is what we really want to see happening with the regenerative movement. I've got a question now about how these regenerative agriculture mindsets could be applied to the business community, Um, regenerative business is something that gets talked about a lot and a lot of business leaders are really grappling with exactly how they can you know implement regenerative practices and understand what regeneration means for them. Um, I'm really curious to hear you know thoughts from the three of you about how the business community could adopt regenerative approaches. Carolyn I might hand to you first to see if you have any ideas.
2: Absolutely you know I always think that business it's funny how people think the government leads and I think that um, you know I think we always have to look at it from the ground up and I think the best way to learn is look at what producers are doing and then absolutely translate that into business. Um, you know I, I, I deal with a lot with businesses where you know we're um, you know are releasing a ecological carbon credit so we're talking a lot to businesses about their sustainability and about their, their journey towards net zero and how do we get You know, organic processes to take responsibility for their planetary footprint. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of um, businesses don't think it's their problem, you know, but I think we're all responsible for our food system, you know, every single person eats three times a day and every single person has a, a footprint of some type. And I think that, um, you know, regenerative is exactly what we said before about farming is it's about leaving things in a better way than we found it. And I think when business um, leaves a plethora of damage or um, whether that's environmental or whether that's social or whether it's financial, um, then we're not leaving the world or the planet in a better place for our kids. And I think, unfortunately, we've measured a lot of business success on that percentage point we put on return of investment rather than if we put a social and an environmental cost uh, around the true cost of of that business suddenly it changes and I think even I mean an example for me I've worked in large-scale investment into, into agriculture and I think if you look at the way that Um, investments into agriculture are measured they're purely measured on a financial return of how much did my money make me over a certain period of time but it didn't they don't actually look at the fact that a lot of the large investment houses are investing into land and then literally just turning them over in eight to ten years time and the social effect and the environmental effect of that is far beyond the actual just percentage return that they're getting for the money. So I think, you know, when, I, when I'm when i talking to organic processes, I'm always bringing it back to what is their personal, it's a bit like the B Corp, you know, I think B Corp needs to become like the, the planetary zero effect um, so that businesses are actually taking responsibility for every part of their supply chain. And that's what we're really passionate about is saying, if we've got farmers that are pursuing carbon neutral and we've got processes that are, you know, pursuing carbon neutral, then we can actually have a whole supply chain that's not actually making the environment or the the planet any worse. We're actually making it better over the time while we're also eating healthy food. And so when people talk to me about, you know, buying organic food, I'm not so much thinking about the food I'm buying. I'm thinking about the farmer that I'm supporting and the type of, place I'd like my children to be part of rather you know rather than in a feedlot for example rather than just in a selfish way going I want certified organic food so I think it's the consumer and business thinking about that whole ecosystem.
4: Yeah Carolyn as well that idea of voting with your wallet is something that comes up very often in these conversations and you know as you said um, consumers have huge spending power so for example, buying produce that, um, you know, supports farmers who you really believe in um, and also create a better, um, you know, support a better economy and a better environment and a better society for future generations is such a brilliant way that consumers can um, contribute to, you know, the regenerative agriculture movement and also the broader regeneration movement in the way they spend their money. You and I might jump to you now and, and um, you know, to bring any reflections from Aotearoa around what businesses over here can learn from um, regenerative agriculture?
3: Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one, really, because there's so many systems in place that can make it quite difficult. Like, we processed our own cattle off the farm for nearly 15 years and marketed them around New Zealand. Um, we won national food awards, supplied restaurants for the years, and the issue for us which really shut us out of it was the meat processing plants we couldn't get any process anymore license so it actually cut us off from the consumer uh, right at a time when i think the general population was starting to wake up to the food quality issues Um, i don't see this as any accident Um, you know there was issues when i was marketing offshore and it was business that actually, bigger business that shut down the connection. And so in my side of things with um, being a beef producer, the thing that would bring back joy to me is local abattoirs and local processing for local people. Um, there is a huge demand there now, which wasn't there. I mean, we started to scratch the surface something like 20 years ago Um, when we won a national food award and now the market's growing and growing but we haven't got local processing and facilities to actually um, take that process further Um, and it's a shame you know the likes of the vegetables and that sort of thing they're really graining ground and I'm working with a few vegetable growers and uh, orchardists and that sort of thing but you know really that's where I'd like to see is being able to deal with local people with local products. If we could solve that connection issues,
4: yeah, brilliant. And and Ray, any other thoughts to add there in terms of you know what the um, business community can learn from regenerative agriculture?
1: Yeah, I think from I, I second everything that's been said because it's just really about joining those dots and um, voting with the wallet is something that I've been a big advocate of. I really do believe that the power of the people is stronger than what we are led to believe, and so. For me, it's about asking better questions. I think if we want like a real easy kind of framework is just, can I ask a better question? Can I walk down an aisle and question, what is the miles of this food? Can I ask better questions and say, into, go into a restaurant and say, do you know the source of where this steak came from? You know, and it's not to um, catch anyone out, but it's to put the pressure on the system to say, as a consumer, I'm educating myself I'm putting the power back into my domain. And I'm going to demand and expect a better quality of service on all levels. I want you, the producer the you know, restaurateur or the uh, supermarket stocking those shelves, to know where that is actually coming from. When you go to a farmers' market, asking the farmers, you know, I feel like sometimes a bit of greenwashing can happen, and we can put organic, and you know, the the, the definition of that is a bit loose and and natural. You know, what is natural? you know, and so you've got companies branding themselves as the natural, you know, type of company in their company name doesn't mean what they're doing is natural. So, it's about asking better questions and then also following the money and see who's saying what and not what's actually being said. You know, I think there's a lot of research out there, quote unquote, and it's really important to understand who is saying that, you know, who's funding, what was their intention, what Point are they trying to make again it's just about asking better questions on all levels um you know even to social media platforms like what is their agenda to put this information in front of my face like asking better questions is the easiest kind of tool that I can empower myself with and others and the listeners Um, so that way we can get a better understanding I've got a belief that a coin has three sides and it has a heads a tail and an edge And exploring the edge is the most unexplored and most fascinating part of the coin. And so that for me is my framework of just asking better questions and seeing things from all sides of the coin. And then importantly, still being friends after that conversation and and stop this whole cancer culture stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been uh, quite an enriching uh, conversation and I've tried to distill some of the key themes that have come out of it with the, Uh, I guess with the acknowledgement that everyone in the world is trying to find a way to address climate change, biodiversity loss, and all of these global systemic issues that we're we're facing. And business seems to be one of the most agile and relatively independent um, forces, agents to be able to to take that on and, and to lead So I guess, where do you look to? Uh, And if you look within the business community, sure, you get some signals of how maybe to do that. But one of the industries um, that are are doing it more closely is this regenerative agriculture space. So the the potential, like learning from First Nations cultures as well, the potential to borrow and to collaborate across um, these worlds just seems so significant. So I'll do my best just to highlight a couple of key themes that have come out, which are applicable in regenerative agriculture, but certainly in business more broadly. This idea of intergenerational wisdom and knowledge exchange in growing the paddock between our ears uh, seems to be really strong. and And it seems perhaps to be going back maybe not one, two generations, but several generations to a, a different way of being, and being able to combine that with some of the new technology and science that we're using. The importance of biological richness and likening that to, I guess, the diversity and inclusion conversations that we have when we talk about the makeup of our teams and stakeholder groups. Uh, but that has been one of the, you know, the key ingredients to the regeneration process. Soil health and gut health, you know, these are things, good bacteria, whenever I've spoken to regenerative organic or biodynamic farmers at different points along the way they're always talking about soil they're always talking about the, gut back, the bacteria the microbacteria and the health of that and if you liken that to the state of um, you know the workforce at the moment a lot of people dealing with mental health issues and so on what are those ways that help people um, you know uh, enrich that soil and often it's that connection to community and connection to nature uh, in terms of leadership, it's, it's that ground up approach. I think um, Carolyn put it really well. And, and, and then empowering businesses to see themselves as uh, solutions to the planetary emergency and maybe not waiting for government or, other, or others, others full stop to take the lead. Return on investment and the need for different in performance systems. B Corp being put up as a good example. Integrated reporting also being important. And then this localization of people and products and, and creating those bridges which have uh, globalization stretched everything, but really come back to that regionalization uh, is, is really prominent. And finally, there's better questions. Um, the education integrity, the transparency, and, and uh, getting over the, the greenwash and often the uh, you know the performance systems and integrated reporting is a good way of um, getting underneath that. So everyone has the power to lift their game. I'm going to pass back to our farmers uh, for just a a final closing um, recommendation. If you were to suggest one skill or knowledge that a business leader could be developing uh, across, you know, let's say the next six to 12 months, what would that one knowledge or skill be?
3: Look outside the square. I mean, that's the the big thing is that... um, Technology has allowed us to look far wider uh, to where our processes come from, where food comes from, how to interrelate with uh, the population at large and look really widespread. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I look at nature for what's going on, but I look at technology to how to get that message out to people. And um, I've spoken to Ray before, Is like the one thing that we have on our side now and we need to use it as this community we're building, and we need to be part of like-minded communities and listen. These are the ears are for something. They are for listening, and there's some really cool information out there. Um, yeah, and look wide, and don't believe your community's just in your living in your little area, because this one is going to go out wide to build a community to come home. I've, I've seen that already. So, I mean, we're talking to you guys on the other side of the ditch and um, there'll be people in Australia. I mean, I've had lots of contact from people in Australia and there's people in New Zealand going, oh, I heard on they, you know, talking to those guys in Oz. Um, can we do that here? So I think it's sort of, it's funny how people actually think, oh, flippin' heck, if they're doing it, we, we should. So, you know, look far and wide but always come
0: home thanks so much i think we'll wrap up there really appreciate you and carolyn and ray for joining us in this uh, trans-tasman regen podcast it's been absolutely fascinating to learn more about the world of regenerative agriculture and also explore what that uh, wisdom and and practice can actually uh, mean for the broader business community thanks again and uh, as always look forward to uh, seeing you in future conversations all the best